As a holiday gift to you, our loyal Green Rush podcast listeners, for this week, this Christmas week, we are republishing our top five episodes of the season. These aren't necessarily the episodes that had the most downloads. Rather, these are the ones that we all believe were really either very deeply different or more impactful or just, I don't know, better than the other ones. Now, don't get me wrong. Anne, me, Nick, Phil, and Shay love each an episode that we bring to you deeply. And making us pick our individual favorite ones was really hard. I mean, not as hard to say as picking between my children. I mean, you know, if you forced me, maybe I could pick one, but probably not. But picking these episodes were hard nonetheless. So for our first fave, I picked my chat with Danny Moses at the Green Market Summit this past September. Danny, as you will well remember, is one of the most prolific and smartest guys when it comes to understanding stocks and bonds and the shape of non-transparent illiquid markets as well or better than anybody because he was part of the team that identified the credit default swap and housing bubble and then burst bursting a bubble in 2008 and he's taken that acumen of identifying these unique market opportunities and has been applying them to cannabis betting on big companies and small companies um, always going long and he is just forget about how smart he is he's just playing cool and is a great listen he makes great podcast and uh, when Ann and I spoke with him this past summer uh, I knew that I wanted to continue talking with him. And when the Green Market Summit asked if they, I wanted to interview somebody, I said I wanted to interview Danny. And we took our show on the road, so to speak. Uh, we got to do this chat in front of about 100 or 150 people. There's a QA. and um, I think that the information that you'll get out of this is really valuable. And if you follow the stock market, and are investing in cannabis stocks. We actually name some names. We even talk about the difference between the valuations of U.S. companies and the multi-state operators versus Canadian LPs and the shape of these markets and what 2019 might look like. Speaking of 2019, I can assure you, Danny, we'll be back on again in the coming year, and I know that neither Anne nor I can wait to talk to him. So sit back. No, don't sit back. Lean forward. Here comes an episode of The Green Rush where it's me and Danny Moses at the Green Market Summit. Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the business of cannabis. Normally, on a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg talk with the CEOs, politicians, and cultural icons driving the cannabis industry forward. This week, though, we're doing something a little special and running an interview that Lewis held with Danny Moses of The Big Short Fame, who you should remember for an earlier episode we ran with him back in August, while both were up on stage at the recent Green Market Summit, a cannabis investor event held in New York City put on by Deb Borchardt of The Green Market Report, who was also a past guest here on The Green Rush. If you listen to the initial conversation between Anne, Lewis, and Danny, you know it was a doozy, and this one is no less interesting. Also, this is our first live recording, so please give us a little leeway if the sound is a bit wonky at times, especially once Lewis and Danny start taking questions from the audience. Since Anne and Lewis's PR firm KCSA does a lot of these types of events, we should be bringing you more of this type of show. So don't sit back, lean forward. And now on to Lewis's interview with Danny Moses. Thank you all for staying. I know it's been a long day um, and hopefully you got a lot out of this. First of all, I think everybody should give Deborah and Cynthia a round of applause. Um, it's really, it's really an impressive thing. You know, Deb is a, a, a longtime journalist, and more importantly, she is now an entrepreneur. And having built the Green Market Report, which if you guys aren't all reading, shame on you. Um, but to then build a conference like this is really impressive. Um, so I give her tremendous credit for that. Um, and I give you all credit for staying to the end. Um, hopefully, you'll get 
something out of this. You know, you've heard a lot from companies. Now you're going to hear from somebody who is arguably one of the sharpest investors in uh, New York City. Um, if you are not familiar with Danny Moses, you're probably familiar with some of the media that he's been in. Um, if you've read the book or seen the movie, The Big Short, that's him. He was one of the guys who worked for Steve Eisman, or in the movie was Steve Carell's character. Um, and, and I don't know how many of you have ever had your name and likeness in a movie or a major book. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that, and we'll talk a little bit about where we are today uh, as an economy. And then we're going to actually get into some stuff that you can, now that it's aftermarket, use to trade on Monday, right? Because Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, so we're. This, this week is a, a pretty emotional week for most New Yorkers, right? Um, we're celebrating two really sad uh, uh, anniversaries. Clearly, 9-11 is one of them. Um, but the other one is we're 10 years from the collapse of Lehman. Um, and that was, at the time, considered a black swan event. Um, and we've had a lot of regulation and, and, and stuff that's gone on since then. Are we ready for the next black swan, or are we still right fucked? Well, they call it a black swan because you can't see it coming. So if I knew what it was, I would not be here. I would have been somewhere else today. But uh, I, you know, I, I think um, there will be things that happen in the future. I think that the fixed income market is where it will happen. Um, not in cannabis. It will be fixed income. It's very levered. It's ETF driven now. It's people misunderstand it. There's a ton of leverage in the system. It'll be different this time around, though, because the leverage is really, you know, different balance sheet. It's not on the consumer balance sheet. It's right. on the corporate, and the banks are healthier. But uh, there's always something. Give Wall Street an inch, and they'll take a foot and hang themselves. So, so one of the things that you were able to do um, back in 2006, 2007, 2008 was was take a. a, a a serious level of discipline to looking at the loan portfolios that made up uh, credit default swaps and, and, and the entire real estate portfolio. You talk about that kind of discipline and how you apply that to cannabis stocks. Sure. I mean, I think whatever you're looking at, whatever investment opportunity, whatever sector, you got to start with the bottom up and look at the company, look at the management, look at the corporate governance, everything from shares outstanding to how they pay themselves and so forth. And so you have to get comfortable on a bottom-up basis before you even look. You can pick the sector as a whole you want to be in, and then you got to do bottom-up. As far as housing, it was just a, a perfect storm of Moody's and S&P not having down-home prices in their models, which was the tipping point for all these all the trigger points for the CEOs to start their default process. There was a lot of things that went into it, but when you see that many people making money that easily, I'm not saying that's been happening in cannabis lately <laughs> in the last few weeks, but uh, in the stocks, but... Um, you know, you got to ask yourself a question, but you just got to do the work. You can't take someone's word for it. So, so one of the, the the person who just hosted the last panel was Vivian Azer, who is literally the only serious analyst in the space. How do you do the work? Like, how do you actually get into it? You know, some of these people here are institutional investors, but the industry is so heavily retail oriented. Like, who do you trust, and how do you, how who do you trust? Well, you obviously, you guys' <laughs> firm is, is great. But uh, you know, you can read 10, 10 Qs and 10 Ks, obviously, on the U.S. companies. Then Canada has a very similar filing system. Mm -hmm. You can look that up. Uh, I try to go online. We always just antiquated this day and age to go find information. But watching YouTube presentations of companies, the CEOs speaking, how they think about their company, how they think about the future. Uh, so, I mean, it's anything and everything you can do. So, one of the beauties of only having Vivian is mm -hmm. that you can get an edge, right? If it was covered, you know, these stocks today that are covered by 60, 70 analysts, whether it's Amazon or whatever it is, how do you get an edge in those stocks? There's zero chance you're going to get an edge mm -hmm. unless you've uncovered something that no one else has. But there's so many eyes and eyeballs on it. So we like to see things, or I should say, I like to see things where there's fewer eyeballs, where if you take a chance and you have a good risk reward profile, you can make money from it. Are you finding that the, the CEOs of the public companies are open to actually taking calls from guys like you, or are they standoffish. One of the things that scares me the most is I email and call CEOs all the time in the space. If they call me back right away, I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> I'm like, why are they calling me? They don't know who I am necessarily. And, and uh, I'm like, why are they so quick to respond? Either they mm -hmm. really need money or they want to tell their story. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a mixed match of, of, uh, of, of that. So, um, but once you get them on the phone and they don't disclose anything they shouldn't, um, then you can start the next process. I, I call companies that I see that are taking loans from hedge funds at ridiculous terms, right? Mm -hmm. And I say, listen, I'm very interested in your company. If there's a, something comes along where there's another opportunity to lend money, I'm happy. To, I would love to be brought in the mix and sign an NDA and so forth. So you know, a lot of these public companies are basically private companies with penny. Right. So, yeah. Well, you bring up an interesting point, um, which is 
historically, these companies, you know, the cannabis companies haven't been able to tap the debt markets, right? Which is a, a, a reason why a lot of them are going public. Um, do you think that they are making a fundamental mistake by not trying to find alternative sources of finance and going public too soon? Or is, this, or is it the right thing to go and list on the CSE or on the OTC? They have no choice, many of them. I think the two biggest events to happen since I started looking into space, and I always say this at these events, credit to everyone in here who's been doing it for years and years, because I've only been looking into space for about a couple years. I've, test, I've tested the product before <laughs> that at some point in my life, but I've only been kind of looking at it. So kudos to everyone in here. Um, but, uh, but BMO's loan to Aurora, which, you know, it wasn't a huge deal, but that was back in the spring, $150 million. That's a big event. But the one before that, the $200 million Constellation investment yep. uh, canopy, to me, was when I really woke up and I said, hold on a second. Now we, got a, we have a cross-border situation with one of the largest beverage companies going in. You had Molson make an investment in Hexo, you had, you know, so the things you have, You've Heineken launching Lagunitas. Right, so these things are happening. So you've got to stand up and realize that from a macro perspective, it's a positive. Um, and then figure out how you're going to execute within there. So I don't, I don't begrudge companies for going public. What I do begrudge, there are companies out there, which I will not name, and I don't actually think any of them were here today, that use their stocks as, you know, vending machines, that, that pay themselves. And you'll see on the, on the revenue line and expense line that, oh, we don't take a salary. Yeah, you issued yourself 60 million shares last year at seven cents, and you're out there selling it. They will never make money, these companies, on an earnings basis. It's 300, 400 million shares outstanding of a stock that's at, it's just not going to happen, or 3 billion shares outstanding. So because access to capital is so hard, it forces the hand of these companies. And so, listen, they want to stay in business. They should be using their stock for acquisitions if they can't get a loan lower than 20% or you know, some type of convert, some piece right. of debt. So, that's where I come in, or that's where people like me, I think, are coming in and saying, hold on, we can fit somewhere in this cap structure for you, and we can help you and advise you. So uh, I want to ask a question of the audience. How many people own cannabis stocks? Individual. OK, so how many people have made money on cannabis stocks? Almost everybody in the room. So Almost everybody in the room. Um, the last couple of weeks, we've seen this massive run up, right? You've seen Tilray go nuts. You've seen Canopy Growth go nuts. You've seen Aurora do really well. Um, you know, are we, are we seeing irrational exuberance? Are these companies priced right? Is it time to buy? Is it time to sell? Generally, and, and sure. we'll, we can talk some specifics. In I, I think there's some late chasing. The whole thing with Diageo rumors, really, if you look back, that was the day mm -hmm. that the stocks took the next level up. Who's the next constellation? What's going to happen? <laughs> Who's going to, there's only four big mm -hmm. growers in Canada that are public to really choose from at that point. But what's really interesting to me, just to take a step back about the markets, is that you have Canadian companies listing on the U.S. exchanges, and U.S. companies listing on the Canadian exchanges, and then you have these bulletin, and they trade bulletin board. It, it's so ridiculous. I realize why. I'm not questioning yeah. why it is. But the scarcity value in Canada is what causes that. But the, the way these stocks trade in bulletin board markets really scares people, and it should. You've got to be very, very disciplined and smart. This is back, reminds me of the, the dot-com days in terms of how stocks were trading and the SOS bandits, right? It feels like mm -hmm. that. But the U.S. stocks, on a relative basis, are so much cheaper MPX was just up here, um, and, and that's a perfect example of a stock on any relative basis to any macro. The state of California, I'm telling you things you know versus the size of Canada, it's not even close. That being said, if an institution in the United States wants to legally play a name without having their hedge fund investors or institutional investors worry, they need to, they need to buy listed securities. So if, you know, if you know, Free is going to list on, you know, on an exchange in the U.S., which I assume they're going to after they just disposed of their liberty position that had to be one of the precursors to it, that's another one, right, that should take the next leg up, potentially. Is it expensive? Yes. Is there a scarcity of value? Yes. So are, those, are the Canadian stocks a bubble, or I mean, are they priced right? Listen, no one loves shorting stocks more than me. I swear to God. I mean, I love <laughs> I mean, it. He's a big short, No, right? but I mean, I, mean that be, I, I, I mean that because it takes a lot of guts to try to stand in front of a freight train that you think uh, is going to break. The macro is so strong in cannabis mm -hmm. that I would rather not make short bets right now at all. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just the way I feel. I'm, I'm not going to try to time it. Um, you know, I wish Andrew Leff was here. We could, we could talk head to head. But uh, no. But I, listen, there are flaws to businesses. These companies are not dead-ridden. Yep. What blew up in the, in the big short in the financial crisis was the, was the amount of leverage. There is not a lot of leverage in this business at all. So these companies can survive, and they should be issuing stock at very expensive levels. They should just keep issuing stock. I normally wouldn't be a proponent, but when they can't get access to the traditional equity markets, at least in the U.S., it is what it is. So you, you are a retail investor. Even though you are a, a high net worth guy, you buy individually. Um, and, and the vast majority of investors in this industry are retail, right? At what point 
do, do the American institutions get comfortable? Let's assume that we are not going to see a, a, a legal fundamental change. It may be a rescheduling, but not a complete descheduling. So there's still going to be a, a, an illegal component to it. Are, are the institutions just going to say, fuck it, we're in? Or are they going to continue to sit on the sidelines? I think you see it more on the private side of things. It's much easier mm -hmm. to stomach that from, it, from, from the institutions. I feel like the people that aren't coming in yet or looking are using that as an excuse to not invest in it. They can call their LPs and ask them. I personally invest retail, but I also you know, invest in Merida Capital, where I'm a LP and a GP, small GP there. But, um, and the reason I invested in Merida was because I think Mitch, Mitch's whole philosophy of being small. Well, sorry, sorry. If you're not familiar, just explain what Merida Capital is. Merida Capital is a private equity fund in the cannabis space. Uh, they have a couple of public, pu uh, public investments, but for the most part, it's the ancillary businesses. It's the lab mm -hmm. testing, it's the auditing software. And the way they go about it is they, they started very small, and they're still small on a relative basis to normal private equity, you know, $80 million or something between the two funds. But it gives you a great vantage point from a Governance perspective, mm. they're very strong. They get board seats and so forth. So they're really building from the bottom up. So that's, I've gotten a lot of my information, at least through their eyes. So, so for the retail investor, um, you, you know, they, you've said, go look, do the work, right? Call management, read all the filings. Um, is the regulatory structure from either the SEC or from, from the OTC or the CS, the, the Canadian Stock Exchange, are they structured in a way to give the retail investor Confidence, or are they? Is it still the wild west? I think it's the wild west because you can't rely on, like I said, you, you really have to rely on yourself. I mean, there's been companies, public companies, which have done worse things, which haven't been punished. I'm sure we'll talk about that company later. Yeah. But um, but uh, you, you really have to do the work, and and you can't rely on the SEC. They won't. They don't recognize these companies. So, for instance, if you were running a business, people in here that are involved in the cannabis business, if you had, if you had a lawsuit and you claim that someone either stole your product or whatever, what court's going to listen to it if it's not a federally recognized, you know, it really starts at that level and works its way back up. Right. So I do background searches without paying too much money on CEOs, CFOs, and COOs of companies that are in the business. Where do they come from? What were they doing before? Is there any baggage, you know, here? So that's all you can really do at this point and then try to just be nimble. So I don't know if I answered your question. No, 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 you, no, you, you, you did. You got a lot of questions. I got, I got a lot of questions. All right, keep, keep rolling. Um, right. Yeah, we'll keep rolling. Right. So. Um, so you know you've been investing in the space now for a couple of years. Can you talk about a couple of the companies that you really like? Sure. Um, I really like Kush Bottles, uh, not just because you guys, you know, PR <laughs> for them and IR for them. I know Phil's here, um, but uh, they're really in a sweet spot. Um, I like what they're doing by you know expanding into the into the gas area. Can you explain again if, if you're not familiar with who Kush Bottles is? Who Kush Bottles is? Yeah. So Kush Bottles is roughly a I don't know where it goes a 400 million market cap company. Um, they're based in California. It's a perfect example of the cost of capital for the get, these guys have been forced to use their stock on acquisitions and issue warrants on deals and so forth. Um, and they put money at a credit union, right, instead of a normal bank, which obviously costs the money. So from a cost of capital perspective, they're about to squeeze. That being said, they are expanding growing revenues and they do packaging for um, growers. Uh, so they make the vape cartridges, they make the uh, pre-rolls, uh, they do everything from the jars, anything. It's plug and play. And it, you're, they, they make the stuff for pennies on the dollar, and they sell it for higher pennies on the dollar. And they're touching a lot of the companies in the space, and I think that they're going to get to a point where I, I think it's a takeout at some point. I mean, that's not necessarily my thesis of why I own it right now. But if they keep growing and you know diversifying their business like, like they are, they just started a marketing division. We're doing branding for people. Yep. All the stuff kind of makes sense, all the stuff along the way. So I really like the management. Really, really strong group of people. So, uh, is there anybody else that you're you're really hot on right now? Uh, I, you know, I like Liberty uh, just from the U.S. exposure. Um, I think Florida. You guys have heard today already. Florida is such a strong market and a big market that um, that I think they're they're in they're in the right spots. I think this they finally got out of from underneath uh, Afria. So that's a positive, at least from an overhang perspective. People knew that was coming. So. Listen, these stocks are going to fluctuate 60 cents, 90 cents a dollar. And if you had told me a couple of years ago that I'd be buying penny stocks, forget about what sector it was in, I think you're crazy. This is just one of those one-offs. I mean, I, I think back to the dot-com mm -hmm. level and how people are, try to compare this to it. There are some similarities, but there also, there also is a ton of difference. If you think about the fiber optic companies, the Quest, 
Global Crossing, companies like that, if you could have added up all the fiber that was in the ground people were valuing, it would have gone around the earth 100 times. Like, there was no math that worked. Right. You can make that argument a little bit similarly in Canada. Mm -hmm. Like, if, if you're going to produce X and your CapEx needs are X, how are you possibly going to make money over a period of time? Again, there's no debt on the balance sheets of these. There's not a leverage problem. These other companies all took out a, a ton of debt. But because these guys couldn't access the capital markets for a long period of time, that actually is not a problem. So there will be zeros. There are dot-com-type stocks that are out there that will never make money. I won't name them here. Um, but, but you know, if you stick with the right strategy, the right management, and the right sector within cannabis, I think you make a lot of money. So you, you just mentioned Canada and Adam Orange. I don't know if he's still here from the, the uh, Marijuana Policy Group, had just done a study for Health Canada. And they came out with some research that said the Canadian domestic market is like two or three times what everybody is, is talking about, yeah. right? They said, you know, I think people were thinking it's like six million. They're thinking it's like literally two or three times that size. So given that, um, do you think that the valuation, that that, that that has been priced into the valuations of the Canadian companies, um, or, or is that gonna take time to percolate out and it's still a buying opportunity? Well, something like Tilray, which is in 10 other countries, uh, you know, outside of Canada, which is partnering. I don't know if you can actually put a number mm -hmm. on it, per se. Is it expensive? Yes. I mean, it's 11 billion market cap or whatever, 12, I don't know what it is today. Yes, but that being said, they're, they're, they have a great spot in Europe, right, mm -hmm. Canada. so it's hard to really put a number on it. Also, I don't quite understand, or maybe people can explain to me, only because I can't put it in numbers, the different product varieties, right? You, you're gonna have some people doing beverages. I don't know what the margins are. I don't know how much, um, cannabis it takes to make a drink taste or have a certain type of effect. Right. I don't know that stuff yet, so science. So I can't quantify it. Um, there is one other company which is now known as Pixis, which I find really interesting. It was mm. pro formerly known as um, uh, Alliance One, AOI was the symbol. It's now okay. PYX. This is an American tobacco company. Oh, this is the guys who do the, the yeah. uh, factoring for Trades the tobacco? No, they do the packaging for Oh, the tobacco. packaging, okay. They actually grow and kind of, uh, I, I actually think that they deliver the leaves. But that being said, they just created a new, they were, they were already doing, they had a license in Canada to do cannabis. They mm -hmm. have a CBD business. As soon as the US legalizes hemp, uh, the stock trades at seven times earnings. I mean, how many companies do you have actually make? So the symbol is now PYX. You can't even find this thing. It's like a couple hundred million dollar market cap. But I did want to mention that one because rarely yeah. do you get a chance. This is ain't pets.com. I mean, right. most companies in the US are trying to affiliate themselves with cannabis. We saw that happen to blockchain to get their stocks up. This happens to be a company that looks like they're transitioning their business from tobacco to cannabis. So that was one other name I should have mentioned before. So, so, so you mentioned um, the drink side of this, and everybody has been talking about Constellation and their partnership, investment, ownership uh, of, um, of our friends up in Canada. Yep, Canopy, Canopy, they put $4 billion yep. into it. You know, Bruce Linton is now sitting on a pile of cash, kind of going, <laughs> um, Where's he going to spend it? Is he going to buy here? Is he only going to do, you know, I mean, where do you, where, if you were Bruce, let me rephrase the question. If you were Bruce, where would you be spending that money? Well, I'm hoping that before I've spent all that money that something has happened in the U.S. Because mm -hmm. obviously if something happens in the U.S. in the next 18 months, he'll have an arsenal to do something and he'll right. be able to raise as much money as he wants from Constellation. Constellation, I think, is a $40 billion company. So this is a 10, you know, still very, very decent chunk. Yep. Um, I think European, uh, probably, Tuck on acquisitions there, distribution, joint ventures with healthcare companies. I mean, I you know it's endless what he could do. He's in a he's in a great spot now. I mean, yes, he gave up ownership of uh, his company. I think it's fifty one is what it could go to. It could go to yeah, which it probably will if they take up the option. But you know, again, I I don't know what he'll use it for. But so let's let's uh, pivot a little bit because one of the things that you talked about um, and what you did when you did the big short was you looked at corporate governance and that you have real issues around corporate governance in this space. And um, somebody had mentioned earlier today, Elon Musk on Joe Rogan's show, sitting there smoking a joint. Um, you know, when you look at guys like that, you know, how, do, how do you analyze from a, an external communications perspective or, or whatever, the corporate governance, and how does it play for, for Elon or the cannabis industry? I mean, t t take me through I mean, that. Yeah. I mean, the fact that, I'll just fully disclose Tesla, I've been short for about a year. Um, and the stock didn't, yeah, the stock got hit that day because he was on Rogan, but yep. it was more of just the buildup of everything else that he was doing. You know, yep. the ambient and so forth, and my life's so hard, and yet he's on Rogan smoking a joint. It's just, he's, he's, a, he's a charlatan in, in the worst kind of way. That's the, I mean, that is a, you know, you've, you have $17 billion in debt and obligations on the company. You have employees that are going to suffer and be out of a job soon. This company, by all purposes, is bankrupt on paper. I don't know how they're going to make it pass. So 
taking someone like that who is very irresponsible, as, and I blame the board. So mm -hmm. you talk about governance. Where's the board for all this? So the fact that he was smoking a joint, that's probably the only thing I ever agreed that he, you know, would probably, <laughs> probably do in his life. He, he should probably do that more and, and take a step back. But, um, but no, but uh, again, I think it's really important is, is how people get paid at a company, mm -hmm. you know, how they treat their, their shareholders. Do they issue stock, like I said before? Um, is there a huge option package waiting in the wings that you're going to get diluted out as an investor that you'll never make money? So um, it's company by company basis. Um, I've, I've called up companies before. I want, again, I won't say the name, and I have a 30-minute conversation, and I was excited about it when I started the phone call and I hang up, and I'm like, it's going to zero. But I can't short it. It was you know, talking about a $0.07 stock. I don't spend a ton of time on those, but I realized what he was doing you know, in terms of corporate governance. He's the CEO, the CFO, the COO, and the general counsel. You know, when you see those, I think that's a red flag. I think you take red flags and just throw them up in the air. So yeah. I think it, common sense can tell you guys, uh, you know, when you look at a company, don't let yourself want to believe. Like, really, you know, tear it apart. So you and I are clearly two white guys. Yeah. Um, and, and we, well, I'm not. Kinda, well, uh, uh, you're swarthy, yeah, and I'm not. Relative to me, you are. Yeah, but, yeah. I, I, I've got three colors. I've got yeah. translucent lobster and peeling. So, right. you know. Right. Um, but, but, but the industry historically was a, a black and brown industry, right? And, and now, uh, over the last two, three years, we have seen guys in suits and guys in ties kind of move in and, and take over. Um, and that's, it is what it is, is the professionalization of it. But, but there has been a real lack of uh, corporate adoption of, of um, uh, what's the words I worked around exactly specifically? Uh, uh, social responsibility, yeah. right? Um, you know, you look at a company like Tom Shoes, where it is inherent in who they are as a, as a company. You look at Warby Parker, where corporate social responsibility is inherent in who they are. Yeah. Um, but very few cannabis companies have talked about it, even if they're medical cannabis companies. Does that make a, a, a play yeah. in your calculus for investing? Yeah. I mean, ESG investing is something I like to pride myself on. You know, so. That's uh, you know environmental social governance. So that's like a new trend and kind of things that are out there. And I try to adhere to that. Um, and w let's just take a step back. You know, cannabis was legal in the 1800s. It was being used to treat things. And then the 1930s, Mexican people started to come over. Then and the U.S. got upset. And the hemp industry was starting to take over a little bit from the lumber industry and the cotton industry. So all of a sudden they created this. I can't remember the name of the act, the Tax Act in 1936. Mm -hmm. And and then uh, they basically, there was a movie that was made or, or an ad Reef that was Madness. made. Reef for Madness, thank you. And it just kept feeding on itself and feeding on itself. And it led to felony arrests. And they were targeting Mexicans and blacks in the United States. And then fast forward to Nixon, uh, you know, when they created the FDA and then they made the Schedule One drug. They made it a Schedule One drug. That was kind of the nail in the coffin. And it's had this. And that was specifically to target African Americans. Yes, it's had this racist profile to it for a long time. Fast forward to last week that I think Brooklyn is going to basically throw out 20,000 convictions of marijuana arrests, which are that's a big step in the right direction. Yeah, right? Cyrus so, Vance, who's the, the yeah. district attorney here, said in Manhattan, said we are not going to prosecute 3,000 cases. Right, they're going to, the but they're going to throw out convictions, which just gets back to the point. Yeah. I'm going to bring it back full circle. There are many states, and maybe it's every state, where if you have a felony conviction for drugs or even even uh, uh, misdemeanor, you can't hold a position in a cannabis company. You can't do anything in the cannabis business. But you, once you throw out those convictions and you know, eradicate them. So I'm sure you're going to ask this question later, is what's going on in Washington? What's going the, on in Washington? With the movement <laughs> is that a lot of this justice, you know, go, go back to restorative justice is what Cory Booker calls it, which I think is the right word. Um, you've got to go back and fix all these convictions, throw those mm -hmm. out, and let's start. That is the right thing to do. That's somewhat of a blockade, probably, to get yeah. cannabis approved federally quicker. I'm not saying that that shouldn't be done. I think that should be done. So I worry that we're going to ask for too much, even though that's a thousand percent the right mm -hmm. thing to do, and we'll get there eventually, just to get this on there. But there are, yeah, there's not enough minorities. There's not enough women in the business. And what's going to happen, and this was it, I don't know who was at the Yale conference last year, um, or the, earlier this year, but it was a great conference. One of the things that came up is people were concerned that you would have women and minorities starting to run businesses in Oregon and Washington, and then the big companies would come and buy them. Right. Yeah. And you first hear something like that as a capitalist, you're like, well, that's good, because I want to invest in that, in that company. But you realize the job opportunities are vast in this industry. You can really build businesses. It's not just about making a dollar as much as it is you know, developing a career in a business. And I think that's the part where Wall Street, you know, they'll, 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 they'll come like they always do when the time comes and just throw all this money at this business and for the right or, and wrong reasons. But you're right, there is, a, there is an aspect to corporate governance and setting up the right board and 
feeling good about what you're doing, that we'll make these companies better and we'll make them work in the long run. So, so let's. I'm going to ask one more question and then we'll open it up to you guys. Not yet. One more question. So. If you look at the American companies that are listing in Canada, they're listing on the, the Canadian Stock Exchange, CSC. which yeah. I, uh, four years ago, it's I had never freaking yeah. heard of. Yeah. Um, do you think the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange are looking um, with lust at the CSE as a potential acquisition target? Let's, let's take that one step. Let's expand that. So when I looked at the Constellation deal, the first thing I did on the $200 million and the $4 billion deal who were the advisors on that deal? Who provided the financing for that deal? Mm -hmm. Goldman Sachs was the advisor. Bank of America was the financer. Okay? So they're making millions, tens of million dollars in fees. Scott's Miracle Grow makes their acquisition. Who's, who's the advisor? Wells Fargo, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, lo and behold. So let's talk about the hypocrisy of Wall Street just to begin with. When it's big enough that they can make a dollar from it, they'll do the business. Yep. And then Wells Fargo can kick out a mom and pop account because someone that's buying medical cannabis with it at an ATM machine, that, that's what they're going to do. So you're talking to a a um, Wall Street guy who hates Wall Street to a degree. I love Wall Street as a capitalist place. Uh, you know, people can be entrepreneurs and so forth, but what I do hate it for is its hypocrisy. So let me just say that. As far as the exchanges, it's pretty much the same thing. So how can, you know, these companies in Canada come list here and they're fine with that, right? But they're not fine with the American companies. I understand why. I'm not saying what it is, but there are companies like I just mentioned, this P PYX, which yep. is, they're a New York Stock Exchange listed company. They just announced they're going into cannabis. They were in it already. They have a Canadian license, but they're set up to do hemp here. What's going to happen? Though? You think they're going to kick them off the exchange? I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I think these exchanges are looking for an excuse to make money. So, of course, if they're given the green light, they will do it. It's just not big enough yet. And so they'll start to realize the fees that are going to the TSX and the, and the CSE yeah. over time. But it'll happen. But it, it may, we may have to wait for the banks, for the well, FDIC, because the, the clearing aspect of it is the problem. Yeah, and the, and the investment banks, too. I mean, they're losing out on millions of dollars well, the, of fees. Well, their advisors. Well, but, but yeah, I mean, but yeah. you, you know, there are two, three, four different um, pre-IPO or RTO companies that are going to come out with multi-billion dollar valuations, and they're going to be raising hundreds of millions of dollars. These are big, oh, yeah. big oh, it'll deals. Come. It'll, believe me, they'll, they'll, they'll be and, there. And, and the Goldman's and, and, you know, look, Vivian is with Cowan, right, yep. which is a, a nice size mid-tier yep. bank. They will not touch American American uh, companies. You know, right. they, they must be looking at the at Canaccord and GMP and, and the other guys up in, in Canada. Yeah, going, with envy. Yeah, with envy, with tremendous sure. envy. Well, no one else is doing it, so you yeah. know, U.S. banks and Wall Street's always as long as no one else is making money from it around me, I'm okay because I'm not going to get the call. Why aren't we doing that? So, yeah. but it's happening. And back to just to back up to your previous question, a lot of hedge fund managers, while they may not be buying these stocks in their funds, are all doing it personally. Oh yeah. I'm not saying they're trading stock, but they're they're investing private equity. They're some of the largest LPs at some of these private. Which we a see lot it. Of people know. I know. I mean, we see it. So, so my firm, if you don't know, my firm represents a, a large number of public and private cannabis companies, and we'll take them on non-deal roadshows and and have them sit down with hedge fund managers, and the hedge fund manager will say, hey. I, I can't put institutional money in because of the strictures on the, 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 the way we've set up the fund. We're not allowed to invest in anything that's illegal, that can be considered drug, drug, you know, uh, uh, drug trafficking, and we have to worry about anti-money laundering. But I'm going to write you a $500,000 check. Innovative IIPR is listed yeah. on the NASDAQ. Yeah, they're, they're the a REIT. NASDAQ. Yeah, no, 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 they're on the, they're on sorry, the NICE. NICE. NICE, yeah. sorry. Thank you. Sorry. Yeah, they're, they're a REIT. NICE, there's one. Yep. That's, a, that's a cannabis play. 100%. 1,000%. So anyway, there's one. Okay. That's two I got, PYX yep. and that one. All right. Okay. All right. So enough of me. Um, go ahead. So talk to us about blockchain because that's an underpin, no? <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I'm not going to, you know, I've, I've never loved, I think blockchain's here to stay, how it's delivered, what token is used, this forth. is about is, the tokens, but the underlying ledger yeah. we all need. To, to well, you, hopefully you won't need that because, again, the banks aren't adopting it because they, they have to face, they have to know who they're facing. And so... The reason the blockchain hasn't taken off, in my opinion, is you still need a bank. No, I know, but in general, is that you still need a bank. Like, why haven't they replaced State Street and Bank of New York on the settlement side of things yet? Because you still have taken credit risk of who mm -hmm. you're facing. So I think there is an aspect to the technology. But to put, I hate to think of those two sectors together because crypto and cannabis, to me, are two, crypto I'll, I'll never understand. Blockchain, I think. Well, just, just smoke and then just Right, I just. Uh, uh, I hope you don't have to do that, but I hope the banks come around before that is an issue. So, that, I think um, just quickly, I'm just going to say that if you look at the um, 
hacking that went on with Maritz um, in June, and then they announced Trade Lens with IBM, where they put their entire system on blockchain. I think that's, in a way, a cautionary tale for where we want to be. Well, the problem is that if you're you're taking a black market, what what traditionally crypto has been used for. I mean, that's I'm how it started. I understand, but it's blockchain. It's still the settlement. It's still, it's still me paying you over a over a blockchain network using the only token to exchange that at the time was Bitcoin. People are taking Bitcoin out of China, out of Korea to pay for things, sex trafficking, and so forth. I just don't think that the, the cannabis should want any association at this point. I get it. It's a maybe a necessary evil. I want to say to it, but let's get let's well, get the banking system. And the, the, I mean, the, the concept of the distributed ledger is necessary, yes. and it is here. It is here to stay, right? Uh, that's a different conference. <laughs> okay, right. So, Deb. So, the Horizon ETF hit a billion in yeah. assets. We were just talking about this. How much do you think that that is leading into these valuations on some of these companies? So that, you know, if Horizon all of a sudden now gets another 20 million in a few months, they've got to put that money to work. Do you feel like that's kind of a little bit of an artificial? Uh, I mean, it's it's real in the sense that money's coming into space. You're 100% right. It's having a massive impact. Late in the day yesterday, uh, someone came and bought a, what we call it, a, a put tree or ladder. You know, about 5,000 um, September 34 MJ puts, sold 10,029 puts, and bought 5,024 puts. Um, that had a massive impact on the markets at 350. If you saw what the stocks were doing, to your point, it creates a massive short-term imbalance. That being said, people take comfort in Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to figure out which one I want to own. I just want exposure. And so it's a passive investment into kind of the story of cannabis. Again, Tilray has become so large in, these, in this index that, for instance, I was looking to buy puts on Tilray for full disclosure a week and a half ago. And they're so massively expensive. The volatility is so high that you just literally might as well take your money, light it on fire, and make this room even warmer than it already <laughs> is. But, but I looked at puts on the MJ. It was, it was the vol was cheaper. Could probably do it if you wanted to, and then I looked and we tell raise thirty to forty percent of this thing because I was looking at the quota. Yeah. So the answer is yes, it's messing it up, it's skewing it, but at the same time it's still real buying demand. But you're right, those are more fleeting buyers that can turn around and sell. And so we saw what happened yesterday. How hard is it to short the Canadians right now? Can you? Is it? Is it? You is can't get a borrow on Tilray. You can't get a borrow on Kronos. Uh, you can, but you'd have to call up. I mean, I'm not trading institutionally. Mm -hmm. If I had an account at Goldman or DVP account, I could probably. probably I heard the borrow. Somebody told me the borrow on the annualized rate on Tilray was something like 3,000%. So you divide that by 365, whatever the number is. It's, it's, you only do it if you're going to short it for the day. Like you would never hold it. If I'm long the stock, I'm lending it out. I'm getting that. Literally, that's what I heard at one point it was. So wow. it was, you can't get more than 1,000, 2,000 shares of stuff. So it's hard. Yeah. So it's really hard uh, not having fundamentals on these stocks. You're not having fundamentals that anybody trusts or believes in. What should we sell? I mean, I don't want to be giving that type of information, but I will say that... Advice, not information. Advice, sorry, that, that type of advice. But like I said before, I think a lot of this is the scarcity value of what's gone. There's only so many ways you can express yourself in Canada on the exchanges and list to market. The more U.S. companies like Acreage that end up coming public, and the more choices that you have to express your theme, the more it's going to take away from the expense. So that's just the nature of the beast. That's going to happen. So, um, you, know, I, you know, I think... On October 17th, if you were to put a gun in my head, the stock's straight down that day. You know, when, when Canada, so, but the Canadian stock. So, but I'm saying that's all technical in nature. Everyone's going to think that, then it probably won't happen. But point is that, okay, we're waiting. Now what happened? Well, it's October 17th. And but you, yeah, I mean, yeah. but that works a lot. Of, I'm just saying, like, you know, I, I think you have to be disciplined and not get caught up in the mania. If you buy a stock, you know, at $9 and, and you're thinking, I think this can go to 12 over a period of, six to 12 months, which is a great return. It goes to 16, 17, and you sit there, you're like, I'm not selling this thing. You know, fear, fear of missing out. This thing's a home run. You, you, you buy into this, these, you start to believe that that is a psychological, that's what creates charts, that's what creates, you know, this, this mania in any sector. It's always moved, it moves around, right? It's in dot com, it goes to crypto, mm -hmm. I hate crypto, it goes to uh, <laughs> cannabis. It doesn't matter what it is, the psychology is the same on every stock chart that you see. So. You just, you just got to be honest with yourself. So you, and don't worry about missing out. Oh, my God, I can't believe I sold it. It's gone. I can't, you, you, if you, and I'm saying this, but everyone will do it anyway. 
you get you get crazy, and then you buy the thing back at a higher price, and you then you get drilled, and you, and you hold it forever, mm -hmm. and you watch it go. So stick to a thesis, create a theme for yourself of what your milestones you're looking for, what you're looking for, and buy it on the down days. You know, start with a starter position in these companies because it's going to be volatile for a yep. prolonged period. Sorry. So just briefly, um, what would be your uh, your reaction to Tilray versus Aurora when Aurora has pretty much and in certain cases, maybe superior assets to what Tilton had, particularly their exposure internationally, uh, and and uh, they have more diversity uh, internationally. Yeah. Um, to be to be fair, I haven't done the total breakdown work on that, but I would just say I think Tilray has the constellation buzz attached to it more than anything right now. Um, and from a market cap perspective, I think it's three times how big is Aurora right now? Uh, Phil, how big is Aurora? What is it? It's a half now, okay, so five and 10 or six and 12, whatever it is. Yeah. So that's always more attractive. Don't ask me why high, higher multiple, high, higher value stocks tend to go higher when it's, but um, I think people are excited that, you know, Lewis pointed out kind of the, the um, you know, diversification that they have. I realize both have it at the same time, but I think people are waiting for the next beverage announcement for Tilray. Uh, we're talking about Tilray versus Aurora, right? Yes. Uh, Believe me, I, I think Tilray's, you know, from evaluation, you know, 40 million revenue run rate off this quarter at that valuation is ridiculous. The CapEx needs are massive. They're going to be issuing stock in perpetuity. I have no idea why Tilray hasn't done three secondaries in the last 10 days. You know, I'm literally, why are they issuing stock every night of the day? So um, I'm not saying it, that, it, that it should be here. What I'm saying is that IP people are waiting for opportunities, and I don't know what they're waiting for as far as raising capital. So you had mentioned something a couple minutes ago about Acreage going public, and Acreage is, is full disclosure, Acreage is a client of ours, um, so I can't get into any specifics about them, but you know they should be public before the end of the year. There are other companies that are going to be going public. There's a company called Cureleaf that, yep. that Bloomberg had reported on that they're going to go public, uh, you know, on the CSE with a four billion dollar valuation. When the, these are two really big freaking U.S. companies, when they go public, what kind of impact? You had mentioned that they might have an impact. What do you think will do to the Canadian companies? Well, at that same time period will be when Canada may be on the sell in the news event, right? So I think, um, given the U.S guys an opportunity to invest in U.S. companies, even though it's on the Canadian exchanges, I get it. The scarcity value starts to disappear. And there's other ways to play this exposure. There's other ways mm -hmm. to, to play it. So I think they go down on that. And I think you'll start to see the U.S. companies go here and Canadian companies and it'll be in equilibrium. I mean, once we start getting more data out of California and Florida is going much better than people thought and New York's going wreck and New Jersey's going wreck, Canada and Massachusetts will start to actually comes online. Exactly. So I just think the the macro in the U.S. is so strong. Yes, you still have the issues with federal government, um, mm -hmm. but it'll be solved. I'm not concerned about that. I think that creates the buying opportunity. If they if they just do the state bill that Cory Gardner was proposing, if they just did that, you would create, a, I think, a massive flow of money into the space. Because mm -hmm. I think then banks, I could be wrong on this, banks would be able to then, yep. bank state charter banks would be able to bank the, the sector. So, sir. Um, well, I just said I didn't really want to short anything, but if I could get a borrow, I'd be long cush short Tilray. Yeah. Um, you know, I haven't done a ton of work on those, but you're seeing these. I think, if I'm not mistaken, beverage companies are the worst performing sector in the S&P. If not, they're close to it over the last, and they're getting the data that you guys are seeing. Um, that in the markets where cannabis is legal, their sales are down in the teens uh, percentage, so they realize they have to do something. So they're doing, out of, they're doing it out of defense to a degree, but uh, you know, within the beverage phase, I just don't, I'm just not familiar enough with it, but sorry. Yep, I agree 100%. I agree. That's one of the positives that could come out of a downturn. Well, sin, sin, sure. stock, sin stocks or sin industries are pretty much recession-proof, Yeah, but right? there's nothing that looks like it could provide this much taxable income in the United States, in the history of the United States at this point. There's nothing that, that has a trajectory like this that's in the billions. It's in the tens right. of billions. So that will, that, that's the selling point. Unfortunately, you'll have to get to the point of, oh, 
this, the pensions are empty. What are we going to do? Oh, well, let's approve a factor. Let's, you know, let's yeah. approve a I mean, it's a $100 billion illicit market in That's the United driving, States, right? Yeah. And it's about right. $10, 15000000000 billion illicit. So you got $85 billion of untaxed potential revenue right Correct. there. So someone will get in somebody's ear, and that will be, unfortunately, you're going to have to feel the pain first. And then, but I agree. Yeah. I've thought about that a lot. Just a quick comment on research. The, um, Ari Huffening did a study for the mayor's office in 13. Which mayor? Bloomberg. Okay. Sorry. And he's a license holder in New York. What he, what he showed was that there was $20 billion of research money. That money that would be promulgated through New York City by allowing our 10 major institutions to do research. That's $20 billion over a 10-year period. Imagine if we were able to do that in our all over our country and all over the world. How about this? New York is the largest illicit cannabis market in the world. It's considered to be about a $2 billion market annually, just New York City. So you guys are all smoking a lot of pot. Absolutely, I love it. That's why Washington Square Park. It's just, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's go play chess. But, but, but imagine how much money that, that, that could generate if it was taxed and, and if anybody took the subway today, it would be nice to have some. And the job, trains. forget about the tax, the job creation is massive. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. So, the majority of my work and investing is in the private markets for a number of reasons. Uh, I was at a cannabis investor event recently where Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary virtually got threw it off the stage. And I, I didn't disagree with the sentiment, but he basically said, Look, if you people want the billions, the sovereign wealth funds, et cetera, to come into the market, you need to forget about adult use and you need to focus exclusively on medical. Wars, as I said, virtually threw it off the stage. The fact of the matter is the majority of people who are in rooms like this who are investing don't want the billions in yet. We want to all build out our little ecosystems, make sure we've got our portfolio in the right place. If you personally had to optimize and say, this is when I'd love the end of prohibition of me, I'd say, I've said this before, but I, we're going to be in the second or third inning. There will be no fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh. It will go straight to the eighth. Right. I like being in the second and third inning if things are moving in the right direction, as long as he's moving in the right direction. So I, I have much more money in private cannabis stocks than I do public, and I totally agree with you. And they're a great way to navigate through and through the eyes of the private companies, and they give you, and then it also makes you realize how expensive the public companies are. Yeah. And the deals that I'm sure you're getting and that you can get with warrants and these private companies are you can't get that anywhere else in any sector that I, that I can recall. So um, I agree with that. I agree with your first comment and booing O'Leary on that too. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, so. but the other thing is, you know, from a financial perspective, I think anybody who's involved in the industry right now is scared of legalization, like outright legalization, because you know, you'll get Merck coming in and Pfizer, and you'll get Amazon coming in. You'll get huge money coming in. And we're all running as fast as we can to, to build our little fiefdoms. But the other side of the equation is people are still getting arrested. There's lots of people who don't have access to medicine. There's lots of people who are in jail who shouldn't be in jail. So you know we have to balance the economics of it and the social justice side of it. And this industry has been long short on the social justice side. And it's time, I think, that that everybody who is involved from the financial side also realizes that we have to be helping the people who we are standing on their shoulders. So. I feel about actually that conspiracy theory along those lines. I have friends who are either federal agents or married federal agents, and there's the conspiracy theory that cannabis has remained illegal for as long as they have to actually give the mom and pop, to give the gray markets a little more time. I have no I, I have no idea. I mean, if you if you talk to, to Senator Ron Rice in New Jersey, who's state senator in Newark, he is opposed to outright legalization right now because he's saying two things. One, it's the, the, the markets aren't designed to help those people who have been who have suffered because they've been street level dealers. And two, what will happen is the, the cartels will then just push meth and cocaine and heroin into the inner cities. And we're not ready for that either. So I don't know the answer. I just know that we, we all have to do some real hard thinking. And you had a question. Uh, then you said that beverage companies are doing this as a defensive play right now as far as getting into cannabis. Who would you see or who would you predict would get into this from a retail strategic um, investment or not a defensive play, like uh, a retailer that once, once the federal government makes this clear and legal? 
I mean, I, anyone and every, if it was federally legal, it'd be anyone and everyone would want to try to sell the product. Anyone that sells perishable, could Amazon, and sell it in Whole Foods. It's a natural, uh, you know, it's a natural product. I think it's, you yeah, know, tea God, you'll have tea God stuff. You'll have tea God's Whole organic, the Whole Foods yeah. other thing. Yeah, so, I mean, that, that you, you'll be able to get it on the internet potentially. So, um, anyone that could jump on it's going to jump on it. But I think the branding side, you hear people, by the way, that some people love branding and say, no, branding's not important. No, branding's everything. Yeah, yeah. But then people say, oh, it's the quality. Yes, it's the quality, but most people aren't kind of, the growth in the industry is not going to come from connoisseurs. No. I mean, I, it does, but I think the real hyper growth will be the branding. Oh, what did Gwyneth Paltrow say I should be smoking? Right. You know, it's going to be who, who can brand it's, it. It's going, to be, it's going to be guys yeah. like Adrian Sedlin at Candescent who Correct. who's 100% focused I'm on brand. I'm an investor brand. in that Candescent, just oh. for full disclosure. I, yeah. I didn't know that, right. so. Yeah. Oh, we have time for one more question. You mentioned uh, corporate social responsibility and the diligence you do yourself on founders at C-level. Uh, is it possible that the cannabis industry is poised to be the next uh, or even a corp? Uh, you have certified companies or that type of uh, program? Say that again. So I, m I missed the second part of it. What's a P? That they can be poised to be the next industry for the B corporation. The B, B corporation? B corporation. Okay. Certified B lab. Like Tom's, like Patagonia. Yep. Uh, Salesforce. Yeah, I think is. All these uh, companies that went beyond a, a CSR program into full transparency, uh, their give back program, sure. their employees, open books. Um, I mean, I hope so. Transparency directed to the street. It, it makes sense that the, from a marketing perspective and being a good person perspective, that the companies that are going to do well in this business will be giving back to the community droves, right? Because it's only going to enhance their brand and enhance their image. So for them, I think they see it two, two-folds. But again, people don't change their stripes. So if someone is who they are, don't think they're, that they're going to change. So my point is that now when you're buying into these companies, you start to think about the future of how they're going to run it. Um, yes, you want to make money and you want these guys to make money, but you know, I would definitely look at the culture and, and realize it's not going to change unless you can invoke change. Uh, state of California, I guess, is trying to mandate that all boards at least have one woman on it at this point. Like it said, you said before, it's sad you even have to make that a, a rule. I mean, that's just, that's nuts. It should be happening anyway. But, you know, those people are being forced to do it. They didn't, we waited all these years. But again, um, I think you can figure out when you meet someone, or at least it's, I think it's one of my strong suits in any, in any industry, you know, weeding them out, no, no pun intended on. No, pun intended. Right. What are you pun talking about? Oh, weeding them out. All right, hey, cool. Uh, there's a company called Bloom Farms out in California, and one of their main things is that they give uh, money to food for the homeless, and that's a part of their ethos, and it's kind of like T-God was saying, this is a part of our ethos, so it's just a part of your ethos as a company. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're going to uh, wrap it there. I want to thank Lewis and Danny. Great stuff. Thank you. That was a lot of fun.